This is Everyday Photography Every Day, where you get to listen in on a chat between a photographer, that's me, and a regular human. That's me. With an eye on making your pictures amazing. No technical stuff, no talk of gear or software, just photography for the love of it. We're sponsored by Neomodern.com, bringing concierge photo printing and framing to everyone with a smartphone. I'm Suzanne Fritz Hansen, enthusiastic iPhone picture taker. And I'm Michael Rubin, photographer, founder of Neomodern, and grumpy old man, and we're in San Francisco tonight. Welcome. Hey, Suzanne. Hey, Rubin. How you doing? I'm doing really well this morning. How are you doing? I'm good. I like a good Sunday morning. Um, Who doesn't like a good Sunday morning? You know, this is I the mean, first isn't Sunday. Is it easy like a Sunday morning? You know, it's reason? not easy. This is the first Sunday in ages I woke up like, <laughs> oh my God, I'm late. You did that <laughs> I, I in never, a total panic. I don't even sleep. I don't know how that happened, but it was, you know, um, I don't know. It I'm could back. be maybe because you don't sleep and then this was the time your body was I just like... So time to reset yeah and we're back at neo modern we and are we're back at comfy with our our beautiful hd buttercup furniture it's, uh, it's getting lovely. very cozy here it's very cozy i'm very comfortable it's a Thank great you. destination a great place to spend uh saturday or friday evening or any evening really yeah work I, on your pictures. I, don't think, I don't think people think of it as a date thing but i think to the degree that people are using their photography it's it's starting to become something in their life they may realize uh it's not just you sitting in your car and you're looking through your pictures but you could actually sit somewhere comfortably go through your pictures with your partner or your friends and finish them up and get that stuff off your camera i love that idea all right what's um, on the docket for today uh, today we have a guest um, a photographer I'm very excited to, um, honestly, to meet. Mm -hmm. um, you've never, so you've never met him? I've never met. So, uh, so everybody, um, I'd like to introduce you to Jason Langer. Jason, everybody. I, I'm here. Nice to meet everyone, sort of. <laughs> hi, hi, Jason. You're not in San Francisco, is that right? I, I was in San Francisco for 20 years. Now I'm, I've been in Portland, Oregon for the last 12. Oh, it's nice up there. It's gorgeous it's up there. That's good. Um, so by, by way of background, a, a couple sort of points I want to mention to our listeners. Um, first, yes, we haven't met, but I'm a, a, a true fan of your photography. Um, I, it, it may be more than almost any other photographer that's in the collection that I grew up around. Um, your pictures have influenced me. And uh, I didn't realize that you were kind of my contemporary. You're my age. But I somehow I thought you were maybe one of those, again, old dead guys that are in our art collection. Hopefully not too soon. Not too, well, I mean, <laughs> years, I, many years, many years away. come on, yeah. you know. Uh, but yeah, so my, um, I guess it's probably in the late 90s or early 2000s, you um, entered our collection. We got a, a number of portfolios of your work. I guess my father had seen... Uh, your photographs and, and love them and so then I started getting um, exposed to this stuff I, I don't think you had a book at the time but we certainly had like your work around um, how did and so that was like 2000 let's say yeah where were you in your photographic career at that moment what was going on so in 2000 let's see I had my first show of my photographs at Michael Shapiro photographs in San Francisco in 99. Mm. So I had been, I graduated in 89. Okay. So I had a good 10 years of photographing and before I had my first show and then I had enough good work to publish it in a book with uh, Nasraeli press wow. in 2006. 
Okay. So, you know, I and when I graduated from University of Oregon, I'm naturally an Oregonian because mm. um, I made it back to Portland after all. <laughs> um, uh, I got a job with Michael Kenna, the, the landscape oh. photographer, because he was a friend. He was a family friend. Really? So my career started because I um, would house sit and uh, visit the house of a friend of my best friend and her she was her sister was married to michael kenna and so they had prints all over the house and i kept in touch with him while i was in college and when i graduated college in 89 he offered me a job uh doing basically everything for him from household work to child care to working on his photographs and at that time he was also um, he was printing for Ruth Bernhard, the, the photographer also in San Francisco. So we were working on her prints at the same time as well. So what a family of, yeah, it was interesting. You know, a lot of those, a lot of those Bay area photographers, we all knew each other and worked on each other's work. And, uh, it was, you know, it was a niche at that time. It was very small, you know, before, the iPhone came out really only those who were personally obsessed with photography had a decent camera, decent equipment and took the risk of putting film in their cameras and not knowing what they were going to go, what their photographs were going to be. Um, they had oftentimes dark rooms and that was the only way to view photographs really was to put film in your camera, go photograph, process the film, see what you got, make prints of the good work and, uh, and put them out there. So that was, that was how I started. Uh, your, and your work has really a beautiful, um, like noirish uh, kind of timelessness to it. I, I was saying to Ruben when he first had said you, he didn't know if you were alive or dead. And I, and I had pointed out that your work doesn't seem to have any of the sort of the artifacts of like contemporary time. It's like you don't see like a cell phone lying around or something that would help give context of when it is. So it feels like there's this this almost like timelessness to it. And then this noir quality of, uh, you know, how it's developed is so rich and like dark. Is that really something that you crafted through this kind of your pedigree of, of, of printing? I did only because I wanted to create photographs that were metaphorical. Mm -hmm. So the metaphor for me in many of those early photographs was photographing in this city and this city representing different places in one's mind. And I usually have a figure walking around Mm -hmm. and not, it's usually not a portrait of a specific person, but just a human figure in a city. And that, and, uh, also, I decided to cut out many of the, you know, identifying boy, features. When you when <laughs> when you look at photographs, your the eye is naturally attracted to certain things. So, yeah. if you photograph a sign, the first thing that we're going to do is read the sign. Mm-hmm. And so, one of the things I wanted to do was to eliminate all the signs, all the verbiage, so that we're just concentrated on the basics of a human figure in a cityscape so that's why there are no signs Mm -hmm. and i thought if this is if these photographs are metaphorical then i might as well take out most of the signifiers of what time it is what year it is 
and make it really um, sort of a mirror for one's mind. And that's why they look timeless. It kind of happened by accident, but it was through wanting them to look metaphorical. They're so poetic. I mean, I, I think your photographs both in that sort of noir the, the, the way that I think of my own picture taking is that it's sort of moody and dark and poetic and then as I realized I went back and looked at your work I thought I think that's where a lot of that influence came from they're just they're not abstract in the sense that they're sort of distorted like a cortege distortion but right. they're abstract in the sense that you definitely don't feel like that's a picture of, of Susan, you know, right. <laughs> I'd say that's a chair. It's just it, well, like, yeah. So photograph uh, portraits to me are complicated because, and I did editorial work for a long time and I tried to illustrate certain ideas, uh, using figures, but I always found that once you see the person's eyes, you start to connect with who that person is. And if you're trying to tell a universal story that doesn't have anything to do with the story of that particular individual, um, it's hard to get around it unless you don't look at their face. And so mm -hmm. a lot of my figures are, the faces are obscured, their eyes are closed, they're looking away. They're in shadow. And, yeah, they're in shadow. And black and white helps that as well because you know if we're talking about noir, most of those films were black and white. They were shot at night. The the starkness of black and white and shadow uh, helps get at the idea that things are not as real as you expect them to be. Mm -hmm. So they're more metaphorical. The shadow and the light takes away a lot of information. And by not showing who the people are, you're left with more, is this a good person or a bad person, which is very noir, right? And what's their mission? What mission are they on? And with my work, there seems to be this, this natural cutting edge of romance and danger at the same time. And that is also very noir. Absolutely. So I never set out to make noir images, but a lot of the themes and the tools um, are still there that that appear in both places I, I love that i think having also just hearing you talk about your work and the kind of the deep understanding of like i was going after metaphor and being able to um kind of connect that to kind of through the execution of how you've gotten there um removing yep. signs of avoiding faces um i i really love hearing you talk about this ruben has a really interesting um or kind of like a uh, formative uh, experience like for taking photographs when he was younger and how that really made such an impression with him and his career can you talk about maybe what led you to photography and sort of what what started it what like was and was there a photograph that you took in your career that changed the way that you started making photos that's a good question um, I think what really turned me on for many many years about photography was the was the magic of putting film in your camera knowing that you have a certain amount of exposures going out and photographing based on instinct of what you think would make a good photograph and then watching those images appear through chemistry on a piece of paper in a dark room uh, where 
time is absent. You know, mm -hmm. you put on music <laughs> and the lights are, are out and the light is red and time has stopped and the rest of the world has stopped. And okay. here you are creating a piece of magic that is only appearing for you right there. And when it dries, then you can share it with other people. And that that is originally what turned me on about photography. But on an inner level, I found that it was my expression. It was uh, uh, the way that I wanted to express my unique vision about the world. It was my way to have an instinct about what I wanted to photograph, how I wanted to do it. And, uh, and one thing I learned from Michael Kenna that was very important is photographing one's obsessions that you create unique photographs based on what is constantly itching at you. So if you're going out there and you're photographing what you're obsessed about, you're diving deep into the subject matter in order to better know it and in order to better know yourself, more than likely you're going to create amazing, unique images that speak to you. Um, I've also been a photographer that's always been more interested in understanding myself and my own particular vision of the world as opposed to the subject matter outside. So, you know, go, going back to John Zarkowski's Mirrors and Windows exhibit, I think it was in 1978. I have the book right here. Yeah, yeah. That you're a photographer who either photographs as a mirror which is more how I generally photograph. I'm more interested in what's going on in my own head. Or am I looking out to a window to the rest of the world and trying to un discover what is out there? Um, and as a photographer, we have the ability to create indelible images that stop time, right? That's what the shutter does. In, in digital photography, not so much. but just stop a moment in time and for most of us that is what is the moment in time that I'm freezing that is about what my particular interest is and what I want to understand uh, as opposed to what is happening out there in the world I've never been particularly interested in what's happening out there in the rest of the world it's always been inner experience inner experience has always been my obsession is, is there a photograph then that you took in this process of finding or kind of working through your inner mirror, seeing what's in your head, that then sort of changed your style or maybe have been, not even changed, just that became like a pivotal photograph that you took? And if, if hard, so, could you describe it? Hard to say because I'm, I'm someone, a photographer who works on multiple projects at once. Mm -hmm. So I was... <laughs> Actually, when I was doing all this editorial work, I ended up getting a dancer from Oakland Ballet mm -hmm. and putting him, dressing him all in black, like a black bodysuit, mm -hmm. and putting him in different positions to illustrate certain ideas. And those, many of those photographs were published. Um, I had the back page to Diablo magazine for about three years, and many of those photographs were published in there. But then. Um, I also traveled to New York to photograph uh, for magazines and show these illustrative, what I called shadow photographs. And eventually the pictures of New York 
ended up capturing people's imagination much more than the shadow photographs. Can you and describe so, like a shadow that, photograph? What what would be an example of one of your shadow photographs? Oh, I I haven't shown them for years. But <laughs> there are the photographs of someone dressed all in black in different situations that are uh, illustrative of existential ideas about being alive, period. Hmm. So I would try to distill aspects about life and put him in those situations and photograph him. And it was a stepping stone to the New York work. And while I was doing the work in New York, I ended up photographing a lot of inanimate objects that looked animate after the after I photographed them. And that took off as a stepping stone into something else. And so yeah. it's one one piece after another that I work on simultaneously and go from one subject to another and one might be more interesting or might be more telling or might be a better example of what I'm trying to say in my work. So it's all kind of happening simultaneously. There isn't any particular image that I had an aha moment. Mm -hmm. um, a little bit is also the feeling of, of what feedback do I get from the rest of the rest of the public as well. What images do they seem to gravitate towards and move more in that direction because the feeling that I have that's I'm on to something. That idea. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah, really good. I mean I think a lot of a lot of the photographers we've talked to to uh, or, or a few of them at least are sort of of a journalistic background. Uh, David Burnett mm -hmm. or you know Doug Menuet. And um, I think many of us with cameras walk around and you think you're documenting, it's the window, you know, you're putting a frame yes. around what you see. And yes. I think that it's good for certainly the iPhone photographers to start thinking about it as a mirror and not as a selfie. Like that's the <laughs> most, um, I mean, it's a, maybe a, a, a first step towards the idea that it's a mirror. It's a, almost a literal mirror, but that they realize yeah. it doesn't always have to be a picture of them. It's like my idea of synecdoche, right? Where you like you do not need to photograph your face or yourself to have a picture of yourself. It's a you can have a something else could be representative of this larger idea or this. Well, the truth is, ultimately, whenever we photograph something, we're photographing ourselves. Yes. Right. Yes. Just by choosing what to photograph, you are naturally editing the rest of the world and saying this is important enough to photograph because uh, I feel it's important for a certain reason. Now the person who wants to go deeper into photography would ask themselves what is that reason? Why am I photographing this? What does it say to me? And can I build on that? So even if it's a broken tree branch or even if it's a flower say well what does the flower represent why am i photographing this flower who who are the other photo photographers that have photographed flowers and what makes them so special right mm -hmm. and ha what is my unique statement on photographing a flower do you think that because you had the the background of first taking photos and developing them in a dark room and you had that time i love what you said where you said based on instinct you would capture you know images and they would remain a mystery until chemistry sort of revealed them 
days later, kind of stopping time, or hours later, whatever. Do you think that it's different for photographers now that shoot either digitally or just, you know, even on their phone where they have the immediate, the immediate response of this is what it looks like and they don't have that time to think about why am I photographing this? Well, most, most definitely. I mean, the, the danger that we have in photography now, and I'm a little bit of a, of a preacher for this, is that photography is so easy now and there's so much of it. Yeah. And with social media, we're seeing so much of it that we're, in a way, desensitizing ourselves to the magic of photography in general. So, so much so that what photography used to have is it forced you to slow down. There was no way to make quick images, right? right? Mm -hmm. And so by the time you actually made your photographs, it was because they sat in your camera for a week. And then they sat with other rolls of film for a month. And then you and then you you processed your film and then they sat around for another two weeks. And then you made your contacts. And then you made your contact sheets and then they sat for another two weeks. And then you made some five by seven prints. And you sat with those for a week. And then after that was distilled, you finally found the three pictures that you think are the best after say 300 some odd photographs right you chose mm -hmm. three and then you decided to to do something with those three put them in a mat put them in a frame hang them on the wall right and that is that sort of filtering system that comes with time yeah. and the danger that we have now is we've cut all that out so it's all very immediate and we're expected to know how to discover and understand which are the best images immediately. I always suggest for photographers to leapfrog their their photographic projects. First of all, to create multiple projects at once and keep working on them. So let's say you're photographing business facades. Do that for a little while, for a week, and then sit on those pictures and then do, you know, photographs in public places of people's hands and feet. <laughs> You know, and and then uh, go do night photography uh, of tracking stars or whatever. And by the time you come back to your original photographs of business facades, you have a different perspective. You're able to look at them in a new way and decide which ones are the best ones, which ones are not so good. And then after a while, what images do I have a lot of that I don't need to repeat myself? of these business facade images, what should I get? Should I get more details? Should I get more farther away? Should I get photographs of how the facades react against each other? Are all of the ones that I have blue? Should I find some yellow ones, right? And over a period of time, like you are collecting photographs, printing them and throwing them in shoe boxes, over time, you open that shoebox and you realize, oh, I've been looking at business facades for three years. And I actually feel like I have a better understanding of what they are and I have a variety of photographs of them. I might have enough to make a book. After a few years, you have several shoeboxes of work of various subject matter that you were interested in. And if you kept working at it over time, you found that you understand the subject matter better and you have a variety of photographs of them. 
And if you were to make a book of them or a show, you would actually be able to teach someone about what they saw. Yeah. So um, that that's how I mitigate the the idea that uh, everything is so fast now. How can we possibly edit our work to find the best work out of all of that if it's all so immediate? Is to create more work at the same time, more projects, look at more things, and return back to them time and time again until you've better understood them. I love that idea of just like continuing to re-edit. Um, we've talked about that a lot on the show of actually the importance of it's not just the photographs and taking them and then you're done. It's really the editing and the organization and feeling like I've chosen this one to go forward with. But I think sure. what's interesting about what you're saying is to kind of go back and re-edit almost multiple times. And as time changes, you may feel differently about one of the photographs that you've taken. Is there, do you happen to have an example that kind of comes to mind for you? Is there a photograph that you've taken that maybe you didn't like in the beginning or it was kind of a, a pass, you know, a Passover. And then when you did one of your re-edits, you opened an old shoebox that you suddenly felt um, much more strongly connected to or uh, surprised by? I don't have a specific example, but I have, uh, I can relate what happens when you feel like you fully understood your subject matter. And that mm -hmm. is, let's say metaphorically, you create all of these photographs and you throw them in the shoebox. And mm -hmm. after a while, you keep opening up the box and looking at the prints and tossing out the ones that you don't feel are so strong, or you've repeated the same idea, but one is better. Mm -hmm. Then you throw the weaker one away. After a time, you have a good enough stack of photographs of that subject matter that you feel like, you know what? I don't think I have anything more to say about this. I think I have a, a strong group of images that have helped me understand this subject matter better. And I think I've said what I'm going to say about it. And I think I have something that can teach other people about it as well. And I, it's time to close the shoebox. Or it's time to make a, a book out of it or show it, put it on the wall, right? So not so much one image that seems like uh, it's better than the other, but it just happens over time by continually going back and looking at your images and then having a feeling that I'm done. I love hearing that. I, I, the way I, I think of that is that it's certainly for consumers that they need to print, like the, the printing process is one of the filters. Uh, and it's not it that is. you're looking for your best picture, which is the way people think of printing, but that this is how you find your best pictures. You print them and you sit, live with them. And I also think that uh, there's a... There's something that printing does that accentuates one way to find your good photographs, and that is through objectivity and uh, less emotional attachment. So if we can create the photographs that sort of live on their own and uh, are able to communicate your ideas without this feeling of emotional attachment to them, then they stand to be better photographs than they would otherwise. And printing is a way to sort of birth your pictures, get them out <laughs> of your head. I love put, that. Put them on paper and put them on the wall. The moment you do that, you're already sort of taking a piece of yourself and putting it on the wall and, and creating a kind of um, objectivity 
and cutting some of the attachment cords to it. And then when people come over and, and visit and look at your photographs, you can decide, you know, are they attracted to it? Are they interested in it? Do they get it? Do they have questions? Yeah. You know, I find that um, it, it's also true sometimes when I write things, I've written something or I've taken a picture and I look at it and I look at it and it seems great. And then I say, here, you look at this. And the second someone else is looking at it, I see it again. Like, oh, wait, yes. I'm, I'm embarrassed by that. Don't, don't wait. I haven't finished <laughs> don't with that yet. It. Sure. <laughs> like that is a yeah. really critical part of the process. It, it is. And also your, your interest may wane in it. So you don't keep looking at the same thing again and being attached to it. By the time you put it out there, you may say, all right, it's done. It's out there in the world. And now I'm already on to a different subject matter. Great. Keep going. Right. Mm -hmm. So there is a kind of feeling of when you're really involved in understanding a subject matter, you're digging and digging and digging and you're understanding it and you're really involved. And then when that hole starts to close up a bit, then you can show those images or the writing to other people and see how they feel. And it it naturally starts to sort of close the hole and you're able to move on and the images that last or the writing in your case that lasts uh tends to stand up on its on its own better than if we're so attached to it and we're afraid to put it out there yeah that's great yeah you yeah. mentioned um so the importance of just like putting things on your wall um printing them yeah. to kind of process them can you tell us what's on your wall so I have a, a one I have photographs all over the house but I have one wall that I rotate in sort of shows collections of photographs based on a certain theme and right now oh, that's such a nice I have, idea. <laughs> yeah and right now I have uh, a sort of fashion wall from photographs that I've collected from other photographers or I've bought at auction and so right now I have two photographs of my own that are uh, photographs of burlesque performers here in Portland so for four years, I decided to visit burlesque performers, circus performers, drag queens, uh, little people, strippers, uh, people who perform in the night scene in Portland, Oregon. Mm -hmm. So I decided to bring a backdrop, sometimes use the backdrop, sometimes not, photograph them in their homes, usually in their own homemade costumes and makeup and then make those prints and dip the prints in Stumptown coffee, which, <laughs> wow, which is where, where Stumptown is from, Portland. Yep, yeah. So, yeah, so, uh, so I have two of those burlesque performer pictures up, but I also have a print uh, by Arthur Tress, and one by Irving Penn, and one by Jurgen Teller, and another Portland photographer named Holly Andrus. So I have all of those up, and they're all fashion-type pictures. What, what's the pen? It is a L'Oreal ad. It is uh, different strips of color makeup put around a woman's lips. It's an extreme close-up. So there's about 10 different colors of lipstick all streaming from her mouth. That's interesting and kind of yeah. strange. Um, so I have a question. If you, we like to ask all the photographers uh, that we have on the show this. 
If you could describe your work in one word, what word would you use? In one word? Yes. Um, I guess the word would be private. Hmm. Can you unpack that a little bit? I like that. Well, uh, I like to think of my photographs as not being self-explanatory, that you have to crawl inside my head and know a little bit about me and why I photographed uh, in order to make that image. Um, it, it, there is a lot of, not voyeurism, but being a sort of fly on the wall where I try to photograph something where you know that you're in the room, but you're taking part in a private moment yeah. that is uh, that is not there for anyone else to see, and you're lucky to feel like you are there as part of it and being invisible. I always think of my my favorite uh, superpower if I had one would be invisibility for sure. <laughs> I actually was at a show the other night, and I and I had someone come up to me in Portland and say, "You know, Jason Langer, you're invisible. <laughs> we ne we never see you. It's nice to meet you." And I felt like, "Yes, I finally You've achieved done my it. <laughs> You achieved your dream. That cloak yes. from the Cracker Jack box really works. I, I, the term <laughs> I use the term I use for that, Jason, is uh, privileged intimacy. Sure, you, you're. You get to be in this intimate thing. Someone lets you into this private space where people don't get to go, and um, and it's special. You know, it's like you're allowed in where maybe others aren't allowed in. Yeah. Now it's also interesting photographing in that way in the world that we live in now because privacy is under attack. People people don't seem to care about privacy. Yeah. With social media, we're all expected to let everyone in our bedrooms, in every in every thought that we have. It's all open, all all out there. We're all sharing our thoughts and feelings all the time. It's kind of I, I I'm still photographing in the same way that um, used to be the the center of photography. It used to be the heart of photography, of asking a lot more questions than answering in fine art photography and now we have the opposite we have a lot of explaining of social and political ideas and uh, identity and all of those kinds of of things are very much in the spotlight right now not so much about privacy not so much about one's own thoughts not so much about metaphor so yeah I'm still photographing in that way that is what did you call it um, the uh, intimacy, privileged, the privileged intimacy. intimacy. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm still photographing in that way, even though that privileged intimacy is is really on the back burner these days. What I like about your work is that it doesn't um, that in fact yeah it doesn't overexplain, and I find that the work or the pieces that sort of hold me longer are the ones that I can't figure out immediately. If I figure it out, I, it's like okay, I've registered, I, I move on, but your images really draw me in because I, I don't fully understand them right away. So I have to sort of take it to, you know, take a breath and then take a step. And 
and start looking deeper. And I really enjoy that. It's, it's like it stops time. You've stopped time when you've taken the image, but it sort of almost stops time again when I'm, when I'm there and I'm trying to, to get into that moment. Yeah, I think I think that's, you know, partly I go for that and partly I know that that's what makes the photograph more endearing to you is that you have your own interpretation of it. You I know, can't, I mean, can't it's, something to you. it's closer to music, like yeah. music is the purest art form because it's not connected to anything else. It's a pure oral experience and everyone has their own interpretation of what it means. Um and I like to create photographs that are like that, that are like jazz, actually. That's about personal interpretation yeah. of subject matter. And modern yeah. dance. I stare, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I mean, and we do need to wrap this up, but I, you know, there's the photograph, I, th I think you might call it the bow. It's a woman yes. with her back and you have the bow. Sure. I look at that picture. I mean, that's one of the early photos in the collection that I sort of latched onto. And I cannot figure out why I'm so attracted to this photograph. It's so simple. It's, it, it's, it doesn't have a kind of an overt mystery to it, but I stare at this picture. I love the photograph, and I can't understand why. Does that make any sense? Jason, could you yeah. talk about shooting that particular photo? <laughs> yeah, so that, that is a really good example of how, how I photograph, and that is I was sitting with my friend James Nichols, who's a photographer in New York. We were at... Oh, what's the restaurant? I think it's still there on Spring Street in Soho called uh, Bacchus or Bacchanal. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I think Bacchanal, actually. Is it called Bacchanal? Uh, yes, anyway, we can, sitting we there, can verify we're that. <laughs> breakfast, and this waitress comes over, and I have my, my Hasselblad ready to go in my bag, and I say, excuse me, and I, I turn to my left, and take two snaps and then go back and uh, and talk to my friend Jim. So that's really all that was. And then it was probably months later when I finally got to processing that roll of film and looking at the contact sheets that I realized, oh, this is a beautiful picture that I photographed just in happenstance. And it's one that popped out of the other 12 images on the on the page and that one stood out and stood out for a reason because it's it sort of stands for the beauty of the everyday something that we all experience when we're at a diner and uh and it happened to be the beautiful way that she tied the bow or someone tied the bow on the back of her apron <laughs> And there's nothing else more poetic to say about it. It just is what it is in its beauty in its own. And I, I was just lucky, right? I just happened to be there, and I happened to have the right exposure, and it happened to be in focus. Lucky. I don't know if that's... Yeah. I mean, you get lucky, take enough pictures, eventually you can you find... You yourself. Yeah. It's, it's more it than luck. But... It is partly about instinct. you got to do it enough to know this might have the potential to be decent. Wow. Well, Jason, I, I mean, I could, I would really like to speak with you more. Maybe we could have you back on here to talk more about, Yes, please. I mean, uh, one of the issues that I'm really interested in is sort of the femorality of the world and the permanence yes. we create by these pictures. And I think the more I read uh, some of your artist statements, I realize that um, I, I, I 
or resonate with the, the, the things that you've written about your own or people have written about your photography. So anyway, I'd, I'd love to do that. Anytime. Thank you so much for being on our show. I mean, I've always, honestly, I've always wanted to meet you like this. I've, I've for 20 years, I've been familiar with your photography and uh, not even aware of how much it was inspiring my own work. And so I appreciate you doing that. I hope you keep doing that. You have, uh, am I correct? You have a book that's out right now. So yes, so a few years ago, uh, a, a publisher named Radius Books, which is a big prestigious publisher with a big print run, we created a book of the best 100 photographs from the last 20 years of my work, and it is called Jason Langer 20 Years. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's uh, chronological. So we literally just started with some of the photo first photographs that I took while I was in high school and when I just graduated uh, college, uh, all the way to the year before the the book was published. And there's a, a few essays in there. Michael Shapiro wrote an essay. Really? And uh, there's a, a couple other people as well. And there's a hundred photographs. So you can look for that and buy it through the uh, Radius Books website there in Santa Fe. And it really is a, a great book. It, it has a good thud when you put it on the table. It's nothing, nothing <laughs> like a good thud with a book. Um, yes. We'll put links to in our show notes so people can see both your photographs and uh, maybe get your book if they're interested. I highly recommend it. I, I mean, maybe not everyone can purchase your photos all the time, but to get that book would probably be a really great thing for photographers. Absolutely. I think they get a lot out of it. Um, we're going to wrap up their show. And again, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Okay. Yes. You're thank welcome. You. Good luck, everybody out there. And, and let photography enrich your lives. Awesome. Love awesome. it. Yeah. All right, Suzanne. A big thank you to our guest, Jason Langer. Our show is recorded and produced in San Francisco. Go to neomodern.com slash podcast to get show notes, see photos, and post comments. Please leave reviews and ratings on iTunes or however you subscribe. And don't forget to tell your friends to click the subscribe button yeah we <laughs> we get new listeners from you telling your friends and spreading the word if you know someone who might get something from us send them a link thanks to mitchell foreman for our theme music and all of you for hanging out with us jason for joining us we appreciate your attention and we hope we've given you some things to think about until next time <laughs>